Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Thanks for allowing us to share this time with you. Honestly, it's our favorite time of the day where we get to hang out together and talk about how the truth of God's Word can make a huge difference in your life. And that's what we're going to hear from Richard in a way that only he can do with words of hope, insight, and humor. You may be stuck in traffic or stuck in life. Either way, today's message is going to help get you on the right track as you learn how much God loves you right where you are. So let's get right into today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Regifted. What does it mean to regift something? You might remember years ago on a Seinfeld issue, I think he kind of coined this phrase. It's to give away a gift received. Now, you could turn into a white elephant thing. It could also be to give away something you didn't want in the first place and you're glad to get rid of. But I want to talk to you today about giving away something that you have received. Go to Matthew chapter 2. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter here, but it's the story of Jesus being born in Bethlehem of Judea, verse 1. These wise men show up, the king Herod acts like he cares about this kid, but he's really wanting to kill Jesus because he sees him as a threat. Almost everybody knows the story, I don't want to assume that. Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So most everybody, I know I don't assume anymore everybody knows the story, but most people know still that these wise men show up and they bring gifts. Now, where did they get these gifts? Does anybody know where they got these gifts? You say, well, they're kings, wise men, whatever they were. They were rich. They had enough money to afford to travel. And they come because of stars they've seen. And they find Jesus. And they give him gifts. From the very beginning, people have been showing up bringing stuff to Jesus. Now, I'm going to read you some verses about this. But just so I don't miss saying this, let me just say it straight up. You have nothing and can do nothing apart from what God has given you and given you the power to do. You got nothing that you did not receive from him. You say, well, I don't agree with that. I'm smart. I'm educated. I did all these things. Well, then tell me this. How did you manage to get born? And what part did you play in that? You say, oh, well, I had really smart parents and they had me. No, they got lucky. Maybe not so much that this is how you feel. Um, see, what we think is we are self-made somehow, that I did all this and I've got all this. You don't even have breath unless God himself gives you breath. And even if you get breath, which a lot of people never get a chance to live, even if you get breath, who do you think is sustaining your life? You say, well, I take care of myself. I've known men who run every day, eat right, still have heart attacks, and everybody, almost 100% of anybody who's ever lived is dead at some point. So you are going to die, but until you die, unless you're doing things to kill yourself, drugs, alcohol, bad diet, whatever it may be, or you just commit suicide, you're alive because someone is sustaining your life. And eventually the person, the God who is sustained is the giver and sustainer of life. You will stand before this God. Now you may not believe that, but I promise you the day will come when you will believe that because you will be standing before him. And then it'll all go, wow, this is real. 
And if you don't have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus, and you say, well, here you're going down that narrow path. This is not something I got in a closet somewhere and made up. It's straight out of the Bible. So I'm not trying to push something on anybody. I'm not trying to make you believe something. I'm trying to tell you what God has revealed. And you say, well, I don't believe that. I get that too. You can believe whatever you want to believe, but that may not work out really good for you in eternity. And it really may not be working out for you in the here and now. So at some point in your life and in my life, I have to come to the place and I say, God, I got nothing. I am no one. I have nothing to give you. And if I do have something to give, you gave it to me in the first place. And that's the only reason I have anything to give back. So they show up with these gifts. Go to Luke chapter 11, a few pages to the right, Luke chapter 11, verse 11. And there's a story in here. I'm not going to read the whole thing. We'll jump in. And Jesus gives an example here about a father and a son, a situation here. Luke 11, 11, he says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Now this is, you think, well, this is stupid. It's so simple. Of course not. I mean, what kind of dad would do that? So he's saying, a son says, hey, dad, I'd like some bread. And the dad goes, oh, here's a rock. Chew on that. You know, well, I mean, there are some crazy people in the world, but in this group, of course not. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Like just crazy contrast. Of course not. And then he says this, if you then being evil. So Jesus is saying, look, and I'm going to go ahead and say it. You are basically evil. But even if you are evil, you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So if you go to God and say, God, I need your help. Now listen really close, because whether you're in this room or somewhere beyond, if you cry out to God for help, he will help. That simple. Now the religions tend to put all kind of encrusted stuff on this and go, well, no, it's not just say, God, help me. You've got to do this. You've got to jump through these hoops and you've got to perform and you've got to act a certain way and get cleaned up and get sober and get all these things. None of that's in the Bible. You show up before God and say, God, I got nothing without you. Fix me. And then he starts from the inside out and changes your life from the inside out, not the outside in. Go to another one. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So literally God gave his son, like presented his son to us and said, here, here's a gift. I'm gonna give you my son, Jesus. For what? So that our lives could be changed. We could have a relationship with God here and now and in the hereafter, but also so that this gift that he has given us could be re-gifted to someone else. Go to Romans chapter six. And if you're thinking about figuring out, say, well, then how do I share this gift of eternal life, this gift that I've been given from God? How do I explain it to some other people? The Bible literally gives you verses that explain it. In Romans chapter six, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. What you're gonna get, your salary for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've been coming here at any amount of time at all, you have heard me say, something about receiving the gift of eternal life. Now, what happens in your house or anywhere at Christmas? Most people wrap up presents, they put them under a tree or something, and they go, here, Merry Christmas. I can't get the corners mitered like the women can. What is that, what is that what it's called, where you get it folded in? It, 
whatever. Here's your Merry Christmas. We hand someone a gift, and what is their option at that point? You say, Merry Christmas, here's your gift. They could say to you, no thank you. That's possible. Usually doesn't happen a lot. Most people say, either just take it, or they take it and say thank you, and that's it. That's it. Most families don't stop at the end of the evening or the next day and have a receipt meeting and say, okay, well, we spent $1,439 on your family, so, you know, you need to write some checks, and let's settle up Christmas. Like, well, you have to be nuts. Then don't try to do that with God. You say, well, I got to do something. I got to help pay for this. What are you going to offer the God of the universe to pay for his son dying for you? What do you got? You got nothing because you can't pay for that. Now, you can say, God, it's overwhelming. It's un- Why would you come after me? Look at me. I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of. I got nothing to offer you, and yet you're giving me your son. So I say thank you and just take it, take him into my life. Then you can go back and say, okay, I'm not trying to pay for this, but you have completely changed my here, my forever. So I yield myself, and I'll read you some verses. Let's go to those right now. Romans chapter 12. I yield myself to you, use me. Now read this verse in Romans chapter 12, verse one. And this is Paul writing to these Christians in Rome. He says, I beseech you, which is kind of like a begging word. I beg you, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may Prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then he goes on and talks about this some more. It literally is like if it was Old Testament and we had a temple and there was literally an altar where the animals were killed and you came in and said, okay, I'll give myself to God. And then we chopped your head off and burned you. And wow, that's cool. This guy was willing to die. That's not what he's asking for. He doesn't need a dead sacrifice anymore because Jesus took care of that. What he needs from us is a living sacrifice where your life is consumed by him, by his life. And then it's all about him. And I go over this with people and try to remind, they say, yeah, but Richard, I've met people that do that and look at their lives. They end up where? In Africa. They all end up in Africa. I don't want to go to Africa. What if God didn't want you to go to Africa? What if God just wanted you to stay here and do what he's asked you to do? You didn't have to go anywhere. You just had to give up your life. What is it that you are holding on to so strongly that is costing you what God has for you and all the people around you? If you just let go, get out of the way. A few verses down in that same passage, Romans chapter 12, verse four, he says, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry, let us use it in ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who uses it in ministering, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality. I've already cited that, this gentleman. He who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, I have a gift. I've said this before. You say, well, you shouldn't say anything like that. It's just, it is. Some people can't get up here and do this. Okay, so you go, yeah, okay, you have a gift. You seem at ease and it works and God uses you. Here's what you're missing. I can't be you. 
and as great as I can be and give God my gift and do my part, this is an important part, but it is only a part. I am one little part. We make up an entire body that has to function. So you are as gifted at something as I am at something. The question is, are you re-gifting your gift back to God and saying, use me extraordinarily? You cannot imagine what an amazing, unbelievable experience it is to find out what God made you to do and then turn that over to him and see him use it. It's the craziest. If you ever get a taste, it's hard to go back. It doesn't mean you'll never sin again. It doesn't mean you'll never screw up again. It's just, if you think drugs, alcohol, sex, all these things are addictive, Jesus is the most addicting thing in the universe because nobody can get you as high as Jesus. Nobody. So you say, well, I don't know what God made me to do. Then ask him a simple ask. Say, God, it seems like he enjoys his gift, what you let him, his piece of the deal. I want to know what my piece is. And then you start to discover that. He shows you that. You start to serve. And then quietly along the way, God uses you in, it may be one person's life. You say, but I want to impact a lot of people's lives. That's not your choice. I could stand up here and say, well, it's not fair. And all, I, don't know, I know these guys that have mega churches and they preach to 10, 20, 30, 40,000 people. You know what? You can eat your life up being jealous of people that you're not supposed to be jealous of. Let it go. Just be who you're supposed to be, where you are, where he puts you. And we got a little bit of everybody in here. We got landscaping people in here who I don't see the people they see. And one guy in particular moves through yards and neighborhoods and people that he interacts with. And he has taken down more people for Jesus than you can imagine. Even when they don't want to be talked to, he talks to them. <laughs> but he threatens not to mow their lawn and it's a long story. So. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's just read verse 7. For who makes you differ from another? And then this question, and what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Now this, I've said it, I'm saying it again, and here it is in scripture. You have to come to a place in your life where you let go of your arrogance. You say, well, I went to such and such a school and I have this much money and this is my title. Who cares? Because if that's all you got, that ain't going to get you anywhere. You got to find yourself stripped down, nothing left but him. And then he can do something in your life where you realize, you say, no, but I worked hard for it. And you've got to go back. Well, I've come to some black church, the old deacons on the front row. And here's how the prayers start. Lord, I want to thank you for waking me up this morning. You know, why would you start a prayer like that? I want to thank you for waking me up this morning. Because you're not going to get anything done if you don't wake up. So if you're all powerful and all knowing and all, all, all these things, who has kept you awake all night when you were sleeping? You are not keeping yourself alive. I did a wedding, got on a plane, fell asleep before it took off. And right before it took off, something rattled and I woke up. I'm like, what the heck? I could die on this plane. So I said, okay, Lord, I'm about to take off. I either will see you in a minute or I'm going to go where I'm going, right? <laughs> you say, well, that's a crazy way to live. Let me tell you something. That's reality. People die by the bazillions every day. Not literally, but a lot of people die. You say, well, I'm not going to die. You're a fool. 
to even think that way. You say, well, you think I should think about dying all the time. No, you need to be aware. You cannot keep yourself alive at night. You do not wake yourself up in the morning. You don't sustain yourself during the day. At some point, you are going to have to give God the glory. You're going to have to give him credit. You're going to have to say, it is all you and everything that I have, that I am, my very breath, you are responsible for it. So I yield myself to you. Now, if you sustain my life one more day, make this day count. You do something in me and through me, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to go. If you want me to go to work, I'll go to work. You want me to quit, I'll quit. I'll obey. This is so simple. People think religion is all complicated. It's simple. It's just trusting and obeying and letting him live in and through your life. Go to James chapter one, and then I'm gonna read you a quick story. James chapter one, and this simple verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. If you have anything good in your life, it has come from him. You say, well, I'm not a Christian. So where'd it come from? It still comes from him. There's a verse in the Bible that says he makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And sometimes people read that verse and go, yeah, see, it rains on people. Like that's a bad thing. Rain is a blessing. When you live in the city, you think rain's a problem because it's gonna spoil your party or something. Farmers cry out to God for rain at some point sooner or later if it doesn't rain. And how does God operate? It doesn't just rain on my farm. When God makes it rain on my farm, he makes it rain on even an atheist farm because he makes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. So God is taking care of you even if you don't like it. And why would he do that? Because at some point, he is hoping that his kindness, his gentleness will lead you to repentance. And you will finally go, wow, I am nothing without him. It must be God. Unless you just completely lock up, grit your teeth, stiff-necked, bowed up and go, well, I don't have to do anything. And look at your posture even when you do that. Why do you think people look so angry? They are angry. Because you're trying to make it your way. You're trying to make it work your way instead of just taking a deep breath and going, God, enough already. Do what you want to do. You may never have heard of this guy. His name is Robert Moffat. Found this story. The guy says, I want to tell you the story of a young man who played a great role in the country of South Africa. It all started further north of the equator than Cape Town in the south, it was in Scotland. An old village pastor was questioned by the deacons of his church. Why had there been no growth in the church, no new members? It seemed the work of the church, if not going backwards, was at least at a standstill. They were about to dismiss the pastor and call a new one. The deacon said to the old pastor, no one has come to Christ through our ministry in the past year. His reply, yes, it has been a lean year, but what about we Bobby? The deacons had forgotten about the young lad who had come to Christ that year. Wee Bobby was from a poor but devout Christian family. Sometime after his conversion, there was a mission meeting in that village church. An offering was taken. When the offering basket came to Wee Bobby, he told the usher to put it on the floor. And this is what he said to the usher. I have nothing to give to God but myself. And so saying, stepped into the plate with his bare feet. See, it is easy to put a little money in the plate, but when you put you in the plate, now you've done something. 
Bobby really meant it when he gave himself to God for his service. He had little opportunity for education as an early teenager was apprenticed as a gardener. He learned to love this work and later in his life was called God's gardener. It was in his late teens that he was attracted to a notice of a mission speaker at a church in a nearby village. Although the date was passed, he went to talk with the pastor of that church and began to think more seriously of the great task of missions. In due time, he volunteered to be a missionary. After a short term of mission training, he, along with another young couple, left England in 1816 for their respective fields of labor. Robert Moffat went to Cape Town. He was just 21 years old. The other couple sailed on to the South Sea Islands. John Williams was only 20. Both of these couples did great exploits for Christ. Almost three years later, the daughter of Moffat's former employer came to South Africa, and they were married in Cape Town in December 1819. Robert and Mary Moffat served together for 50 years. We, Bobby, became the outstanding missionary to South Africa. Dr. Robert Moffat, who spent the next 52 years of his life in Kuruman, he used his gardening skills to benefit the tribal people there, but much more important, he preached Jesus Christ and translated the Bible into that tribal language. John Williams was also used mightily of God in the South Sea Islands. He was eventually martyred for the cause of Christ, killed and eaten by the cannibals of Eromamanga. These men were faithful and committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. Moffat served seven years before he had the joy of seeing the first convert come to Christ. Seven years. It was many years before there was a real turning to Christ among the people to whom he was ministering. During that time, he mastered the language and began his lifelong translation work. In due time, he printed the whole Bible in the local tribal language. And listen to the end of it. He had a profound influence on his own family. Son John Moffat returned to Africa as a missionary. His daughter Mary became the wife of the renowned David Livingston. Through his influence, many others went to the mission fields of the world, not just Africa alone. He took one furlough in 52 years of service. You say, well, there it is, see? Do what you're saying, I'm gonna end up in Africa. <laughs> no matter where you end up, if you end up where he wants you, that's the best place to end up. And some of you, and me included along the way, some of us are wasting the only life that you are ever going to get away. You are blowing through it like there's no tomorrow and there may not be a tomorrow. What are you doing today? If a plate literally came down the aisle and you put it on the floor, would you be willing to get in it and say, God, no matter where, no matter what it costs, no matter what, I am going to yield my life to your will, your way. I'll live anywhere, whatever you say, wherever you lead, I'll go. God has given you life. And if you're a Christian, he's given you eternal life. Are you willing to re-gift your life back to him for the sake of someone else, no matter what the cost? We'll get back to Richard in a moment to close out today's talk. But first, I want to share something about our program. Our mission is actually very simple, to take the planet. So it's our prayer that these daily talks from Richard aren't something you only hear and enjoy, but that they inspire you to share with others. Together, we can do this. The message of the gospel is something everyone needs to hear, and that's why it's such a priority to us. So join us in this important mission. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD to say you're in. Or you can get on board with us through our website, richardellistalks.com. Well, here's Richard with some closing thoughts for us. It's interesting, recently, a man in South Africa named Mandela died. And it's fascinating to me, the people in history who 
change the world the most, it appears suffer the most. If you are going to let God change the world and lives through your life, there is a chance that you're going to have to suffer. But it is better to suffer for doing right and see some good from it than just to suffer being an idiot. Your way, my way. Say, well, it might cost me. Yeah, but it's going to cost you a whole lot more when you stand before Jesus himself or God himself and have to give an account for your life. I got a lot to answer for, but I am trying little by little, day at a time, however many days I have left, to say, God, I thank you for the gift of life. I thank you for the gift of eternal life. I thank you for the gifts that you have given me. Now use those, Lord, as a part of this body, of the body, of the greater body of Christ, to do whatever it is you want me to do. And you say, but what if I do it in obscurity? What if it doesn't count? What if nobody knows about me? This is not about anybody knowing about you. It's about them knowing about him if your life points to him and you die in obscurity you win because it's about him this has been richard ellis talks with richard ellis there's only one reason we do this program to take the planet with the good news of jesus christ that's our message and our mission and you have a vital part of doing that along with us if you've been encouraged by these talks with richard be sure to share with someone about the change they've made in your life and we'd love to hear your story as to how the talks have made a difference to you. Give us a call. We'd love to talk with you. 855-6-RICHARD. You can also reach us through our website, richardellistalks.com. And while you're there, check out all the fun and informative pages we put together for you, richardellistalks.com. While you're there, be sure to click on the Contribute tab at the top to send your generous gift. If the program is making a difference to you, your gift will make a big difference to us. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.